0: You're listening to the sojourn Montrose podcast for more sermons and content visit sojournmontrose. org all right so there's a, a few things that we're going to see here but but um, I think even just at, at first reading from this morning's text probably all of us if we if we would consider ourselves followers of Jesus at least we we read about this account of this community of this people that come together in such a way um, that I, I I would venture, many of us, when we think about church and when we think about belonging to a community of people, right, this is the kind of people that we would long to gather amongst, right? This is the kind of people that, that I think we would look at and say, that is enviable in the sense of, that is, that is the kind of church, or that is the kind of people that I, would, that I would want to belong to, right? It's one of those passages along with Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47 that we just read and we go, gosh, it would be awesome to be amongst that, right, people sharing their possessions, people coming together in such great unity that that there was such a oneness of heart, a oneness of soul, right, that that nobody considered what was theirs theirs, that they held everything that they had with very loose hands, that there was nobody in need, not from a spiritual sense or from a material sense, that they were cared for, right? And so when we read this, we go, yeah, like, that's what I want to be a part of. And I think so many of us, you know, we look at this and we recognize that this is absolutely the ideal, Uh, not just of Christian community, I would say, but also of of human community generally. But um, we we can talk about that another time. But this is the ideal, right? And I think often we'll, we'll read this and we'll step into a church context and what we'll see is that there's a gap between what is the ideal and what is the reality of the situation, right? And it's that gap that frustrates us that regardless of how big it is, right, so long as there's a gap, there's a sense of frustration, a sense of longing, a, th- a sense of misunderstanding, right? And yet my hope this morning is that, um, that one, we, we would observe this rightly, and then, two, that we would um, find great encouragement in that what is taking place here can and will take place amongst God's people, not only in the here and now, but in the future that is to come, where God's kingdom is finally and fully revealed. And so uh, let's dive right in to verse 32, right? And here's essentially what's taking place. The gospel, right, is empowering God's people with a distinct unity, power, and grace. And we'll see that just in these, these first two verses where it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said, that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, so here's the thing, right? We're, gonna, we're going to read about an account of this early church, right, being bound together in such a way that their unity is, is expressed, right, through a, a tangible generosity towards one another within the body of Christ. Right, that's what we're seeing here. And yet, um, while we're going to talk very practically right, about what extending generosity looks like in the context of sojourn um, in just a few moments, what I, what I want us to know and what I want us to see ultimately is that, that this expression of generosity, right, this, this expression of generosity that we see taking place here is just that, right? It's an expression of something that has taken place, that there is something underneath that that is undergirding, right? There's a foundation upon which generosity is built that if we miss, we won't experience true generosity. And that is the unity, the power, and the grace afforded to us by by God Himself, right? There's, There's no coincidence There's no coincidence that it's those two things upon which the generosity of the believers, this account of their kindness towards one another, finds its foundation, finds its source first in this unity of heart and soul, the very power of God at work, and His very grace being extended upon all of them, right? So let me just briefly give us an understanding of what I mean by unity, power, and grace. And I don't want to uh, spend too much time here because I do want us to get very practical today, which if you've, if you've listened to me preach before, that's not necessarily characterized much of, much of my preaching. And so if this uh, seems weird for you, it also feels a little bit strange for me, just know that, but we're going to get through it um, and it'll be good. So first, unity, right? The gospel empowers God's people with unity, power, and grace. Now let's, let's define unity real briefly because I think many of us confuse unity with uniformity. Okay. Those are those are two very distinct words. Those are two very distinct things, right? So when we say unity, I think what we often confuse it with is uniformity, right? So what what we're witnessing here is not a collection of people who have all agreed that this translation of the Bible is the right one or that dress in this particular way or that endeavor to raise their children in this exact way, or that have a certain philosophy about X, Y, or Z, right? It's not a uniform people, but they are a united people. It's a huge distinction. The church in Acts is united in the very deepest part of its being, in the seat of their identity, in their heart, and in their soul. There's a fundamental unity now, some of you may say, Mar- Marshall, how-, how can you really know that, right? And, and what we witnessed earlier, just, just in the second chapter of Acts, is, is Peter, right? An apostle at the time gets up, he preaches with the power of the Spirit, and it tells us that in the congregation of those who were listening, right, that there were people from Parthia, from Medes, from Elam, residents of Mesopotamia, Judeans, Cappadocians, people from Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, Other parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans, Arabs. So here's what we can know. That in the short matter of time from that moment where Peter preaches that sermon and many, it tells us thousands even, come to know Jesus from all different parts of the world. What we have here is a, a group filled with individuals filled with identities that are incredibly unique, especially just based on what their heritage is. That now, just a few, just a couple really even, chapters later, it is said of this diverse, distinct group that they were of one heart and of one soul. Right? This account tells us that this diverse people experienced unity in spite of the fact that Even if we just looked at their heritage, we could faithfully conclude that they did not see everything eye to eye. The wonder of the unity that Christ establishes in His people in the gospel is that He honors individuality while bringing individuality into unity. So that's what we, we, we see first here. The gospel coming down, empowered by the Spirit, draws together this diverse, unique group of individuals into a people who are so united that it is said of them that they were of one heart and one soul. And it tells us that in that unity, there was great power of God being given for the testimony of the resurrection and great grace resting upon all the peoples, right? So this is the environment. This is is the milieu, right, in which this generosity is going to spring forth from. This is the heart, the seat of generosity. And so just, just know that, right? As we talk, because we're, we're going to get practical here and we're going to talk about things that we can do um, here at Sojourn to be known as a people who are generous, who if a written account were to be made of us, it would be said the same as what is said here, right? But what undergirds all of those practical things that what undergirds this expression, this overflow of generosity is and always will be a gospel-saturated a gospel unity and the grace and power of God at work in a way that it is above and beyond our ability to comprehend or understand, right? So it's, it's in this environment that then we see verse 34 take place. It says there was not a needy person among them, For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. So so a people are empowered with the gospel. A people are given this presence of the Spirit that Jesus himself says, it's better that I should go so that you can experience this. And it's out of that gospel empowerment that they are now flourishing into a people who are generous, right? So gospel-empowered people exhibit an otherworldly level of generosity. Now, let me, let me say this, right? Um, this is a very short portion of text. And what we're reading here is primarily, right, an instance, an account of a moment in the church in which there is an internal generosity among the body of believers, right? Like, that's what that's what we're witnessing here. It tells us that they're taking care of one another, essentially. And yet, here's, here's where we're going to sort of jump off into that, into, into some other areas. Um, because I think right now what we are looking at is not necessarily a prescription of what we should do, right? In that, what my grand conclusion of this morning is not going to be is that if you own a house, one, you're wrong, two, you should sell it and give it to me, right? <laughs> because there's, there's nowhere in the Bible that we're instructed to bring our money and lay it down at the pastor's feet as though he were an apostle, right? So what we're witnessing here really is the spirit of their giving, which is important, right, rather than, rather than the system by which they did it. So there's a, there's a particular need in the church at this point in time. There's a lot of people that have come from other parts of the world. They've, they've, they, they've only come for a certain amount of time, but they are now engrafted into this church, and it's, it, they have needs. They need places to stay. They need, they need food to eat, right? They're travelers. They're nomads. They're all, they've all been brought together in this one place. And there's a unique way in which the Spirit empowering the believers to live in unity, right, called them to be generous with one another. So some people who had land, who had houses, were willing to give those up for the sake of seeing the, the needs of the people in their midst met, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to take that principle, right, that, that we're responsible for one another's needs in, internally here in the church, both materially, right, and spiritually, and we're going to talk about ways that I think we can apply this text to... Um, to our church here and now, to to the church generally, but also, of course, specifically here at Sojourn. And I think, really, the the, the thing that we can most clearly see from this text, in terms of a a principle, right, is that when people are changed by the gospel, when the Spirit empowers us with great power and great grace to live in unity among one another, we become people-oriented instead of self-oriented. That, That as we sincerely care for one another's material needs, that we also want and desire to minister to one another's spiritual needs as well. That as other portions of the Bible tell us, that we bear one another's burdens, that we sympathize with and pray for one another, that we are in touch with one another's hurts, and that we gladly sacrifice time and comfort for those who are in need. Right, so there's this really interesting thing that takes place when the gospel supplants our former identity. Right, that instead of, becoming so, or instead of being so concerned with our needs, with what, what we have or what we have been given, and measuring that up and using it according to our own wants and desires, we now because of what Jesus has done, seek to take all of those things that we've been given and instead leverage them for the sake of others. Now here's the thing, I think, I'll, let me just, let's zoom out a little bit and let's look at a generosity just from a holistic standpoint, right? Because I think many of you, even when I'm just using that word, we think of expressly, right, giving of our money. And what we're seeing here, right, is, is again, an instance an example of an overall attitude, of an overall way of viewing the community, of viewing the world for these people here. It led them to sacrifice particularly of what they had in terms of their money. But what we'll see is that they sacrifice not just that, but all that the Lord has given them. So their gifts, their talents, their time, all of those things that are theirs, their bodies for one another, right? They're giving up of themselves in order to provide both materially and spiritually for One another in the church. So let's talk practically about what that looks like and why that's important for us. I mean, number one, I think what we can just see, right, is that is that if the gospel is at work among the people of God, then generosity is a natural byproduct, right? That that the spirit working in To create unity in the people of God leads to generosity, first and foremost. So we can look at that as just simply a sign. Is the gospel working amongst us? Is the gospel causing us to let loose of those things that we held on so tightly to before and instead be willing to leverage what we have and who we are for the sake of others? But then, too, it's also important because... the gospel empowers generosity as a sign or as a, a, a wonder, right, of God's power and grace, right? So generosity is an apologetic or a defense, right, for the gospel being true, that the gospel actually changes people, that the gospel actually does something different. And so here's, when I say that generosity is an, is an apologetic for the gospel, um, there are many right apologetics for the gospel. This is just simply one of them. But I would argue, I would argue that um, a culture of generosity, a people who are generous, might be might be the most potent apologetic for the gospel in 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 the culture that we happen to find ourselves in. In that, if you could characterize right our culture just generally in one word, I think selfish would be it. Like, I think selfish would be it, right? I mean, that's much of, not much. It's all of what, of what our lives are geared toward. It's all of what we are told to value, right? Everything is held within that lens. Does this relationship benefit me? Does this job pay me the way I want it to pay me? Does this provide for me comfort? Does this provide for me approval, safety? Do, is all of this adding to my livelihood and to my well-being? Now, for some of us, if we're Christians in the room, that list or that, that brief little uh, moment of me talking probably, probably got a little scary for some of us because we recognize that in ourselves, right? And so here's the thing. If we, if we one, want to be a, a generous people, surely for the sake of experiencing what we see experienced here in Acts chapter 4, But also, if we want to see the gospel of Jesus made true in the eyes of our culture, then generosity is is necessary for that to take place. And then third and finally, if if we really believe that Jesus is who He says He is, and if we really believe that we are His people, His belonging, and if we really believe that He has an inheritance for us that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for us in heaven, who by God's grace and power are being guarded for a salvation that is to come in the last days, then generosity is a way in which we exhibit that. So here's what I would say. I think that there's, right, we see here an instance of internal generosity among the people of God. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, is generosity wholly and only experienced within sort of this this small group of people, right? Is this just for the church? Is Is this just something that we experience together as the body of believers? Is that why it's been given? And My answer to that would be no, in that we witness internal generosity here, and yet at the same time, these people are characterized by it to such a degree that people are moved or compelled by their generosity not only towards one another, but towards their neighbors. And so I want to talk about, um, and this is where we get to the practical stuff, I want to talk about practically how we can become an internally generous people. Here, like as Sojourn Montrose, how we can be generous to one another, how we can care for one another, both spiritually and materially. And then two, I want to talk about how we can be generous to our neighborhood, how we can be generous to those who who we live amongst, who we find ourselves in the midst of. And so... um, We'll just be real real practical here. Now, when we talk about generosity as an apologetic, the internal generosity of the church is an apologetic in that it is something that those who are outside the community of faith observe it and find it desirable. And external generosity is the generosity that they experience and are, and are moved by, Lord willing, um, to believe in the gospel, right? So let's talk about internal generosity, right? How can we, inside Sojourn Montrose, be Generous. How does that take place here? Like, what are the systems that we have set up to see that that becomes a reality, right? So, I want to talk about it in, in, in three facets. Um, when we talk about internal generosity, the in, like inside the church, right, we see generosity taking place, or we want to see it, amongst the church universal. So, here's the thing, right? Although we are sojourn, and the temptation is to think about the church in light of just what takes place here, because that's our immediate reality. What we we need to recognize is that we belong to, right? We belong to a fellowship of believers comprised of every tongue, tribe, and nation. That we have brothers and sisters in India and in China and in Africa and in all four corners of the world, right? And when um, when we talk about generosity as an apologetic, we should be concerned with, a generosity towards the whole the whole family of God, right? Their needs are our needs, and we want to seek to provide them and meet them. And so, um, I just want to give us a, a quick example from Second Corinthians chapter eight. And what we see happening here is Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and what he's doing is he's saying, "Hey, um, so, so Corinth being like down here, and maybe like two or three hundred miles north, being a church in Philippi, right?" And Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, hey, these people up here are intimately concerned with your needs, so much so that they are begging me for ways to help you. And he's going to explain why that's a good thing. So uh, 2 Corinthians 8 uh, verse 2 says this, or I'll start in one. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but as they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. And so what you see is this people, right, who, um, which is really interesting, in that they're, they're not particularly well off, and yet they give, right, they give out of an overflow, it says, out of, out of an overflow of their joy and extreme poverty, which when we think of extreme poverty, we don't think overflow. But then it tells us what? That they gave themselves, right, with great concern for the, for the whole body of Christ. And so, practically at Sojourn, this is why we care about international church planting, right? Like, so we, some of you may not know, but we support, in particular, one family, because that's what we have the means to do right now, but... But we support one family um, that's, that's planting churches in and around Paris, France, right? And some of you may think, well, you just picked that because it's a cool place to visit. Um, and while that's true, that's not why we picked it. We picked it because there's 0.2% gospel presence in, in, in France. And that's really probably the majority of European countries. But right, we, we give not only of our finances here at Sojourn, but we give of our time to encourage them. We give of our time to pray for them so that right, we might be encouraged to care for and provide for the needs of the universal body of Christ. And so um, that is one way in which our internal generosity can be observed. Secondly, right as we narrow in, um, we want generosity to, to be observed at Sojourn just as a body, as a local church body, right? Just like in Acts chapter 4, we want to see instances where needs are met by us corporately. And so one of the main ways that we express that here at Sojourn is, is through local church planting, right? By, by putting aside um, not only budgetary money, but people, right, to send to other churches. So lo- Lord willing, right, Lord willing, this fall, there will be a Sojourn Galleria that is birthed. Um, And it'll be a glorious and wonderful thing. And we get the privilege, we get the privilege of being generous, not only with our finances to see that happen, but with our people. And that we're sending six to seven, I think, people um, to go and help plant that new church. Right, we want to care for uh, the, we want to care for the city of Houston in being generous towards those things, in not holding on tightly to the people or the gifts that we collectively as Sojourn Montrose have, but being generous in sending people all over the world, all over our city, to make the gospel known. Now, so those are kind of big, like overarching, you know, more umbrella type things where we together are, are working together in maybe more nebulous ways to see those things happen. But our sort of smallest and most granular way in which I want to see this happen for us is in the context of the neighborhood parish, right? Because here's what a neighborhood parish is, quite simply. It's a smaller expression of this local body of believers. That's all it is. And so our neighborhood parishes function exactly like a small church in that that (laughs) while we gather together here on Sunday together all throughout the week, we are caring for one another. We are providing for one another's needs spiritually and emotionally um, and and materially, right? And so let me say this really quickly. One, for those of you that are in a neighborhood parish, you know that this doesn't probably characterize us all the time, right? And that we don't always experience generosity from one another. In fact, many of us arrive at those gatherings throughout the week and think, I really need to be blessed or served in this moment. Less than we think about how we can bless or serve. Let's just acknowledge that that's the reality and let's ask God to change that. But then two, right, if you're if you're a guest and you're and you're wondering why we have these smaller expressions or why they're why they're even important. It's because look, in this context right now, like what you're experiencing right now with, with really me just talking at you, your needs aren't gonna be discovered, right? Those, those things that are wearing upon you spiritually, those burdens that you are carrying financially or materially, those things aren't going to be unearthed in this context. And so you'll walk in and you will enjoy, hopefully, you know, somewhat decent preaching and some great music. And then you'll go home and, and you won't experience the care which the church is meant to have for, for itself, for those who belong to the church. And so you should be a part of a neighborhood parish, trust me. We want those things to be unearthed. We want those things to be provided for. And we want to ask you for grace when we fail to do so. But so let me say this, just practically, for those of you that do belong to neighborhood parishes, if, if, if we want to be known as a generous people, if we want to care for one another well, I'm going to give you one conceptual thing and I'm going to give you one really practical thing that my parish leaders in the room are going to love. Conceptually, think about it this way. If, if all of us, right, who gather together throughout the week as a neighborhood parish, if we come to that parish gathering thinking, I wonder what I'm going to get out of this. Then that means that we're all coming together. We're, we're coming together self-centeredly. And if we're all coming together thinking those things, then there's going to be nothing by which to provide for those needs. But if all of us come, even in our extreme poverty poverty of spirit or poverty materially, and we come together and we say, what can I give? Well, that changes everything because people's needs start being met because people are more concerned with each other's needs. And when I'm concerned for your needs and you're concerned for my needs, guess what? Both of our needs get met. And so I would encourage you to come to your neighborhood parish gathering, not with the mindset of what am I going to get out of this, but rather what can I give? to see this people flourish as the community of God in Houston. And then practically, here's a way in, in which you can do that. Some of you have been to maybe even hundreds. I don't think we've had hundreds yet of parish gatherings. Maybe we have. I think we have, actually, because this is like our 80th Sunday, so which is pretty cool. Um, but some of you have come to hundreds of parish gatherings. You've never brought any food. My parish leader's like, "Yes, amen, like, you know but like bring food, bring food it's very simple. The act may seem totally inconsequential, like on you know on the macro level in terms of like there's plenty of food every time we come and It's like, yeah, but but you know let's let's all together contribute to seeing that thing be a reality, and let's not only experience an abundance, an overwhelming presence of, of, of generosity in that, right, internally, but there's also something incredible that happens externally then in that moment because as we welcome guests, they see that there is room for them. They see that there is generosity enough to go around. They see that there is a place in which they can be provided for spiritually and materially, right? Don't hold your time after work and before the gathering so tightly that you can't afford to go to the grocery store and just pick up a bag of chips, right? Don't hold your your money so tightly that you're concerned about buying that that rotisserie chicken or whatever it is, right? Like, just let go of those things. That's practically how we experience internal generosity here at Sojourn. And so if you're not involved in the neighborhood parish, you're not going to experience the internal generosity of the church and you're not going to give us a chance to apologize when we don't extend it to you. So, anyway, rant over. Sorry. Um, Internal generosity, right, to be observed um, as an apologetic. Now, externally, how can we be externally generous to our neighborhood. And, and here's the thing, man, I don't know that I have a ton of practical things around this, but but I want to be clear about how that takes place, right? In the same way that if we, as the body of Christ, are not interacting with one another, we can't discern one another's needs. If we are not interacting with the people in our neighborhood, if we are not amongst those who, who, who we live amongst, then we're never going to know their needs. Like if we're not out and about, if we're not if we're not getting to know people, if we're not listening to people's stories, if we're not gaining a picture of the overall health of our neighborhood, we're not going to know where to step in, right? And so the first way to, to begin determining how, how we can be externally generous towards our neighborhood is to first pee among them and ask questions. What are their spiritual needs? What are their material needs? How can we provide for those in the name of Jesus to them? So we want to be externally generous, not just to the neighborhood at large, but to our neighbors individually. And I think there are two ways in which we are generous in an effective sense to our neighborhood. Number one, we're generous through the gospel deed, right? And that we can go um, and we can, we, can serve. we can serve the people of our neighborhood that are enslaved in human trafficking. We can go to those brothels and we can pray for them and we can extend the hand of grace and we can provide food right? We can give food to the homeless. We can work at shelters like Covenant House or the Women's House. We can go to the Salvation Army and we can donate of our time and of our efforts, right? I mean, there, there's these tangible ways that we, can, that we can serve our community. We can be generous through the gospel deed. And let me just say this, that's going to be the comfortable, acceptable, favorable way that our, that our neighborhood wants to experience the gospel wants to experience the church's generosity. But there's also a way in which we must be generous that is less comfortable, less accepted, and less favorable, and that is generous in the gospel word. In the gospel word that tells them that although they were sinners, Christ died for them. That although they have nothing good to bring or to give, that God has given them everything in His Son. And that it's it's as we marry those two things, as we discern the needs of our neighborhood, and as we meet them in the name of Jesus, that the kingdom, by necessity, expands. And that the overwhelming power of the gospel, the work of the gospel in the hearts of the believers to create such a united people under the power and grace of God, to be generous in such a way that is effective for the sake of Jesus' name and fame. generosity is a result of the gospel taking root by the power of the Spirit, right? And the picture of generosity is Jesus. That 2 Corinthians passage uh, in in chapter 8, I I read really purposefully because it ends in a really beautiful way in that it, it circles us back and it takes us back to where we find the source of that generosity, right? And what we'll see is that Jesus was not just generous in one facet of his life. And so like if if your whole comprehension of generosity is I give $100 to the church once a month, then, then you're not experiencing that. Certainly part of it, but it's not holistic, right? In that if, if we're only giving of our finances and we're not giving of our time, of our emotion, of our mental capacity, of our physical energy to one another, then we're, we're, gen- we're generous in one little facet. We're going to see in this text as we conclude this morning. That Jesus was generous in, in, in all of his being, in all of his riches, in all of his time, in all of his talents, and all that belonged to him, he was willing to give up. It says this um, in 2 Corinthians 8, starting in verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all uh, earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's talking about being generous. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So it's an apologetic. Then, verse 9: For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. What an exchange, right? That in that moment, Jesus, rich in relationship with God, rich in that the whole universe belonged to him, rich in that he did not experience the infirmities of human weakness, traded all of those things. And he took upon himself human weakness and he forfeited relationship with God. And He forfeited the praise that was due Him. And He came and He dwelt among us in order that we might experience His richness. That as we, right, as a community, as a body of believers, together seek to be generous towards one another, that we inevitably all experience the benefits of that generosity. Brothers and sisters, we are an infinitely generous people because we've been shown infinite generosity. And so my prayer this morning is that we would ask God, by His Spirit, to give generously of His power and grace, just like He gave to the church in Acts chapter 4. And that through that power and that through that grace, that we would experience a unity in Christ. And that as we find unity with one another and as we endeavor to know our neighborhood, that the needs both internally here at Sojourn and externally in our neighborhood would not only be found, but met by the people here. Out of our physical energy, out of our mental energy, out of our emotional energy, out of our spiritual energy, and that we would expend all that God has given us, that we would leverage that for the sake of seeing His name and fame known in this neighborhood and in this city and in this world. Let's pray.